Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy, and I'm here today with my buddy, Byron Van Pelt, besides having a badass and cool-ass name, which I slightly am envious of. Uh, we literally connected back in January, I want to say, December, January. We've been trying to yeah. do this a bunch of times. I've been the king of rescheduling, and that's life. Uh, we finally matched lock this date down, and I just want to welcome to the show. Dude, welcome to being here. I'm grateful to be here, man. I know we've been rescheduling a lot, but it actually worked out for me with fatherhood, with our second kid two months ago. I was in such a fog. I don't know <laughs> if I would be present or conscious if we tried to connect even the past two months. I think you would have just been unconscious. It would just be like, wait, what? Baby food? I don't know what that is. It's like just <laughs> randomly like naming off your shopping list. What are you doing? <laughs> Absolutely, man. I would have been falling asleep mid-podcast. You'd have to like, yell at me to wake me up. It'd be nuts. <laughs> just every so often just send you a text message like, oh, shit, dinging, right, fan of up. Exactly, man. So this um, is great. It's fortuitous. I have no idea what it's like to be a dad. I'm not a dad yet. I'm an uncle. And that's as far as it goes. But like, I haven't, I haven't done the first, um, the first uncle duty shift where you have to look after the kid for the first night. I haven't done that yet. I'm, tr I'm trying to prolong that until like my niece is two years old and at that smart. point I'm like you speak words we can hang yes smart. at the same time I'm hoping she does not sound like her father I really hope she doesn't sound like her dad because I'm like I'm shitting on my brother-in-law about this but I hate Birmingham accents so much really like over here like there's the Birmingham UK the accent it just grates on me after a while. Like, I can be okay with it, but after a while, it just gets to me. I'm like, I love you, but please don't sound like this. That's interesting, because I, I know there's so many more accents where you are in such a tighter, compact area. In America, yeah. there's obviously different accents, but I never thought about the accents that irritate you. That's yeah. really interesting. It, it, to be fair, it's, uh, it, it's, it's actually one of the reasons why I hate balloons. Uh, it's going to be completely, like, out of left field, but I can't stand balloons because I have really sensitive hearing. Okay. Right, so it's the same with accents. Accents and balloons are the two things that annoy the shit out of me the most. I'm actually terrified of balloons. Like, if you want to scare the hell out of me, just come at me with a balloon and a pincushion and I'll run the other way. So, because it could pop, and that's what just drives you nuts. Is it like the, the finger on it? Does that drive you crazy as well? No, no, that doesn't... That doesn't drive me nuts. I mean, I can play with them, I'm cool with them. It's just whenever I, have, whenever I see a kid with them, I'm like... That's going to pop and it's going to hurt my ears. And I'm like, that's <laughs> it, it has nothing to do with that child's safety. It's 100% selfish. It's like, screw that little kid. I need my ears to work. Yeah, so you just avoid birthday parties then? Pretty much, yeah. I don't get invited to them. I make up any <laughs> excuse I can. It's like, I think the worst one was like, I can't go to a kid's birthday party. It was either admit that I'm af afraid of balloons or just make up some weird story about like a misguided, perverted thing that happened. We all know which one I went with, the messed up one, and then my friend found out there was actually balloons. I was like, damn it. <laughs> Still See, that's a great fallback to have, though, man, because now the number one thing I'm dreading the most, like now that I got a two-year-old and another one that's just born, all the birthday parties are going to be invited to. It's a great fallback for you, though, if you can come out and say, look, I have to own something here. I'm, I'm deadly terrified of balloons. I'm not going to be able to attend any birthday parties. Make the wife go. You're set. I think that's a good game plan. That That is the game plan. My whole plan as well is I become the main income provider and make some shit up with people like you and be like, yo, just call me and say <laughs> that we got like a podcast or something that I totally forgot about and we'll do that for a couple of hours. It's like, oh no, sweetheart, I'll see you later. Comes back home. Why are you guys laughing? Uh, we were doing a serious business podcast. Shut up. You don't know what's up. 
Yeah, exactly, man. You got to have those uh, those things. As long as it's on Google Calendar, you can always point to it and say, right here, I've got plans. I'm not going to be able to make it. See, if I forget, this is why you have a good friend that actually goes into their Google Calendar, creates a plan for you, and then sends you a screenshot going, see, dude, we have like a 2 p.m. booked. You can't go to this party because we, we have something important to do. <laughs> it's like, exactly, man. you totally got the wrong day. <laughs> uh, but real quick for a shout out before we continue I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors for this episode which is again ByronVanPelt.com go there check it out get on his mailing list you need to update that photo you look way better with a beard than you do clean shaven dude you just really dude, I need to update a lot I haven't touched that website in like a year and a half it's funny you said mailing list <laughs> I don't even have a mailing list right now Damn. it's something we can talk about actually dude I've been intentional I did content, I did mailing, like I did everything for years and I got so burned out on it. I hit reset like a year and a half and I decided to start building business just from relationships only. Coming out of that, I'm transitioning, I'm actually hopping back online, doing all that fun jazz, mailing lists and copy and all that cool stuff that you are very good in. But yeah, man, like I had to hit reset on all that because I was such a lone wolf. I was so burned out. I wasn't enjoying half of what I was doing. I wanted just to rekindle relationship building, just getting to know people. So it's funny that you said join my mailing list. I'm like, there isn't any right now. Yeah, but this show doesn't come out for like three months. So by that point, there will be because I'll kick your ass into it. Hey, there um, we go, man. Even, so, even actually, if it's known as, that's very highly likely. Even if it's called the BVP fun party line, I don't care what you call it. Just get on your mailing list so they can hear you be you. In all honesty, I looked at your website right now. Um, you guys probably hopefully won't see this by the time it goes live, but yeah, you in that suit. What were you doing with that tie? It's like a weird minty colored tie. Dude, I love that tie, man. Don't hate it's, on the tie. I'm not hating on the tie. I'm hating on the photo. I'm like, wear the tie, but don't wear a suit. You look great in a suit. Don't get me wrong. But knowing you and knowing that, I'm kind of like, that's that's not that's not Byron. Byron's way more fun than that. This guy looks corporate. Byron looks hilarious. Dude, I was so corporate. For the longest time, any anywhere I went, I wore a suit. I, I had it installed in my brain, man. Actually, I heard a great quote about this. Um, There's another podcast. Everybody talks about this podcast, but I watch it too. I'm sure you watch clips of Joe Rogan and his people yep. come on. Huge fan. Inspired um, the I show. Know, I don't know anybody that, that doesn't watch that podcast. That's how freaking popular it is, right? If someone hasn't heard of it, I'm like, you're an alien. It's crazy. Or if but you he had, um, you've either heard of it. And you like it or you heard of it and you don't like it, but you've heard of it. You absolutely have heard of it. You know, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Um, but he had a guest on and I caught like the first 30 minutes of it. He had Guy Ritchie on, the director, the yep. uh, Snatch, Lockstock. So he was talking about suits because he was wearing a suit. And Joe Rogan's like, I'll never wear a suit. You know, same thing. I don't be corporate. I'm much more fun than that. And Guy Ritchie said, you can wear a suit and look corporate or you can wear a suit because you're choosing to wear the suit. You're owning it. You're designing it and all that, right? Right. And that really got me thinking. And to your point, I'm like, yeah, when I used to wear a suit, I definitely did not feel that way. I was yep. putting it on because I had to because I had to maintain an image and it was just another barrier between me and, and my actual personality coming out. So when you're saying that and because I haven't touched my website in years, it's like, yeah, it's time to uh, give everything a nice facelift. So appreciate it. I would agree. I had uh, I had the same thing happen to mine. Like I don't know if you saw the the website back in December, like December January. All my photos were really corporate, like all suited, booted, wearing a shirt, the whole thing. And I listened to that same show, by the way. I, I, that that quote stuck out to me because I wrote it down. Um, and that's the that's the time I actually decided 
if I ever like the only times I ever used to wear suits uh, was when I went out, like when I went out to parties or when I went to events or when I went to meet people or I wanted to impress someone. I'd wear a suit, and I was like fifty percent owning it, fifty percent kind of just doing it to keep up appearances. But after I heard that, when I when I wore a suit next, which was um, at my niece's like little get together christening thing, I owned it. I, like, don't get me wrong, I hadn't shaved, my hair was messy as fuck, and I just rocked up to this thing looking, like, tired and homeless, but I was, like, in a suit, and it looked good. But at the same time, it kind of comes that it comes down to, you get to pick your suit. You get to pick what your suit is. Like, for you, wearing a t-shirt, jeans, chilling out with your longboard, and just, you know, hanging, that is your suit. That is the suit that you decide to show up in. Absolutely. Same as, like, same as like whenever I talk to my jiu-jitsu guys, they're like, what is your suit? And they're like, my gi. When I, when I step onto the mats, when I wear my rash guard, when I've got my jiu-jitsu gi on, that's my work suit. That's the thing I go to work in. I'm like, that's cool. Like, the mindset shifts are insane. For me, it's t-shirts and hoodies because I fucking love hoodies. Dude, that's fantastic, man. I love that quote. I know it's for me. I'll tell you what my suit's been recently. Up until this, this <laughs> is going to sound either amazing or terrible. Go Up until, it. like, noon, pajamas. That's my suit, man. <sighs> Dude, pajamas. I've been- I've realized this just to jump onto your point for me, because I'm like writing a shit ton of launch copy right now for a company I'm working with. Um, sweatpants. That's been my suit until like, I've only, I literally only had a, it's about four o'clock in the afternoon right now. I only put on like a pair of jeans at like two thirty to go down to the shop. Cause I need to pick some food up. Um, bar that it's just sweatpants, like literally sweatpants and writing. I love sweatpants, man. I love sweatpants. They're like the best. Florida, because you can wear sweatpants two months out of the entire year. Otherwise, you die. But, man, those two months are amazing. They're glorious. There's a company. um, I was huge on sweatpants, and I found a company called Public Rec. And uh, I'm not a sponsor of this company. I don't know them. But they make a sweatpant that's designed to be worn both to the gym and then out when you're out and about. No so it shit. looks like a sharp sweatpant. It looks good. It doesn't look like sloppy sweatpants. I bought like three or four pairs of them. I'm in love with those sweatpants. Wait, wait, hold on. These are these the sweatpants that are like you can spill shit on it. Doesn't stay. It's like super cool. Because I saw a company had literally spent like a, like a hundred thousand dollars to like develop these sweatpants out of bamboo and cotton. It was like. You know what? If you haven't seen them, I'm going to send you a link after the show just so you can go look at them. I haven't seen it, man. I'm definitely interested, though. That sounds yeah, it's, it's on Kickstarter right now. I think it's like 150 bucks uh, for like a pack of three or something, but like you never have to wash them. That sounds awesome. I know. That sounds so awesome. That's, that's something else that the guy got to jump into before we get into it. Yeah. Um, just something we were speaking about before the show was just about how lazy men really are. It's like, yes. you really don't. Like, women, I know you guys are lazy too. I've, I've spent way too much time with women in my life. I know exactly how lazy you guys can be. But my favorite thing is, guys' laziness, we ratchet it up slightly where it's like, how long can I go without washing my pants and not having a shower? and not cutting my nails, or doing my hair, or shaving. If those are the five things you can go the longest without, you kind of have like a personal best in your head. You, <laughs> I don't know about you, I do this, I go like five days, and I'm like, if I'm not training, if I'm doing jiu-jitsu, if I'm training, I will shower and, you know, clean myself, because that's unfair to other people. But if it's like, Christmas break, I've got no one to see, and it's just me in my house for two weeks, 
Yeah, I'm going to try and go as long as I can. I think my record is like five days before I looked at myself and went, okay, you're being disgusting now. Go go take a shower and change your pants. That's incredible. So you have to hit a point where you can no longer tolerate yourself. Exactly. It's, it's getting there. It's getting there. I'm almost, <laughs> I'm, I'm hitting 30 this year. So I'm hoping after I hit the 30, I can push it to day six, seven, and eight. If I can get to that yeah. point, I'll be happy. Man, that's amazing. That's that's an incredible <laughs> philosophy. I love that. I love when you hit a point where you're like, I can no longer look myself in the mirror. And that's the litmus test. Like, nothing else. Just that. Yeah, I, most people are trying to go the other way. They're like, I'm trying to get that number down so I can spend less time. I was like, no, I'm trying to get that number up. Like, how long can I not, can I just like keep this disgusting feeling? It's not even disgusting. It's super comfortable. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> this comfortable feeling going before I need to be like, you, you need to change something here, man. Like, yeah, the, man. The, Dude, it's, it's crazy. But anyway, so I wanted to ask you something real quick. And it's more or less to do with like the relationship side of stuff. Because again, I've built my entire business on relationships. Like yeah. you've probably seen this. I don't run Facebook ads for shit. I don't run ads for anything. I rarely promote anything on my Facebook timeline. Most of the time, I'm just like posting really random shit. Uh, yeah. That gets whatevs. The, the thing I wanted to ask you was, what do you see is the, uh, what problems do you see uh, that people have when it comes down to relationship building? Like what problems do people cause when trying to build yeah. relationships? It's a great question. I think to be blunt, most people suck at building trust, like suck at it. I used to suck at it. And the reason why is because like for me, I never valued relationships in a, in a weird sense. Like I valued my wife or my fiance is, or my girlfriend. Um, not, not three different people, but through all the same person, but yeah, all the same person. Um, and of course family and, and like, you know, people I grew up with, but in a business context, like business and friends never coincided. It was always like, if I met this person, what do they mean to me? Or what do I mean to them? Is it a potential client? Is it a partner? Is it an opportunity? And I, I really struggled building trust with meaning like, Going in, no agenda, no expectation, having vulnerability, having the capacity to actually connect with someone and to demonstrate curiosity for who they are beyond the business, just who yeah. they are as a human being. I really sucked at that. It was a skill set I had to learn to do, but also because it was never a priority. So I think for me, I just hit a point, I was so burned out. I was creating a new piece of content every single day. Yeah. Seven days a week, I was writing something or putting up a video or audio. I was so exhausted and burned out, and I didn't have meaningful relationships, not just like friends that I could kind of go ask for advice, but like people that I could really have a good time with and share and open up. And these, This is what I'm going through without expectation. I didn't have any of that. And also, I didn't have people in my network I could come to and say, hey, look, Here's what I'm looking for. I'm wanting to get on a podcast or I'm wanting to find an opportunity like this or I'm wanting to create new momentum in my business. Can you help me? It was all on me. And I realized that was um, that was a really bad position to be in. It's it's basically very you-centric at that point. Because um, yeah. it, it, it's like if you took a day off, then shit didn't really work anymore. Like it would slow down a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was a machine. Yeah. I really don't understand how people can create content every day. Like people get at me about that. They're like, why don't you create content every day? I was like, dude, do you know how bored I get? Like I, I'm the guy that loves telling stories, but when I'm teaching shit, I don't like telling stories around it. I just like, look, let's just get right down. Let's cut the bullshit. Let's give you the thing that you want and fuck off because I want to go do fun shit. If we want to hang out afterwards, I'm totally down for it. Like me doing this isn't creating content for me. 
this is, I've got, how did, you didn't even ask me to come on the show. I think I asked you to come on the show. I was like, I'd yeah. love to podcast with you yeah, because yeah. we had like a whole conversation about Predator and like 80s movies, which we're totally still going to have live. We're still going to have yes. it like that. We're still going to have yes. that out because there's yes. just so much. Um, <laughs> especially with John Wick 3 coming out next week. Oh, that's, Man, that's I was just the, thinking about Keanu Reeves today and bringing him up to you on the podcast. That's great. Dude, I, he's like my favorite person ever. Like, because I'm getting my passport sorted. By the time the show comes out, my passport should be done. Uh, things crossed and stuff and touch wood. Uh, so I'll be flying out to Florida. I'll actually be flying out to Colorado and then Florida right after. So, dude, nice. we're totally hanging out in August if you're up for it. Absolutely. Uh, one of my friends is actually really good friends with Keanu. Like they train with him in um, in one of the gyms out in uh, California. They're, they they train together. So he was like, "He's your favorite actor." Flat here meeting was like, "He's not just my favorite actor. He's probably my favorite human being that is a celebrity because he's just so chill." It's um, awesome. Dude. But anyway, the way that and my whole point being is this isn't creating content. The day this podcast feels like work is the day that I'll kill it because I don't. I don't like doing shows where I have to pretend to give a shit. And I think I've done like two or three of those where they're like early on, like season two and early season three, you can hear my voice in those shows where it's like, yeah, uh uh-huh, um, cool. Like I'm totally like not even (laughs) present with a person. Yeah, you're not engaged. Like if you ask me, am I still friends with that person like on Facebook? Am I still talking to them? The answer is probably not. Like I'm probably not connecting with them. Like the people I want to connect to, yeah, still speaking to them. Got them on my show, friends with me for life. Hang out, we're good. It, it's, yeah. it's fucking epic. But kind of like jumping off that point, and I want to ask you is, how did you actually start developing those skills? Because that's not, a, a, thankfully that hasn't been a challenge for me. Like I've never had that challenge. My challenge was the thing that you used to do, which is getting up, create content, and go out there and run my biz. I can't do any of that shit. That shit to me is like, eh. The stuff I do, I love. So how did you transition from that hustle? Would you say it was a hustle mentality or? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's call it the hustle mentality. From that hustle mentality to um, having a mentality of relationships and building on that. So you're building on a much more solid foundation. Yeah, it was was three stages because for me, I was very much into the whole hustle and grind. Go out, we're talking about suits, throw on a suit, go out and network, go meet people. And just create momentum in your business. A lot of my momentum was originally created from just networking. I meet people at conferences and seminars and just network like crazy, throw them into free sessions. I had a sales background so I could close people in one session. It was just a lot of brute forcing it. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, if you're not feeling like it, suck it up and just do it anyway, kind of mindset. And of course, it's such a recipe, an obvious recipe for burnout. Um, so I hit that wall and realized I have to dramatically change. And I I also started hiring different mentors in that in that time that were more keen in this area. And so I started doing that. And and I think what helped me the most was I just said, okay, what would guarantee I really strengthen these skills? Well, it would be if I had maybe two to three hundred meaningful conversations in a year. Not just two to three hundred, like you said, like, yeah, okay, great, but like two to three hundred meaningful conversations would do it. So I did, and I dropped everything else I was doing in my business. I just built relationships with people. And that was the second stage. The third stage, though, was I learned how to integrate, like building trust, building rapport, and and really having no agenda and expectation, but also with business savvy and recognize I'm going to go broke if I'm just hanging out, chilling with people all day. There has to be an offer or an ask. 
and learning how to come from a place of, look, in this moment, prior to now, I had no idea what this conversation was going to hold. But in this moment, I'm feeling inspired to go this direction. And it might be to make an offer. It might be to just help this person. It might be none of the above. But I've I've shifted from this is my goal, damn it, to more of this is what's emerged in the moment. And now I'm feeling led. I'm feeling inspired to want to do this instead of having to drag my feet. And so that's created a significant chunk of momentum in my business. That would do. I've actually noticed if there was more entrepreneurs that led from that position, you wouldn't have burnout as much. Like mm-hmm. someone that someone that does this really well, in my opinion, is our friend Kyrie. Yeah. Like Kyrie does it to the highest level. Like I've seen him where he's like, no, I don't want to work with this person. Why? Because, you know, I don't want to pitch him. I don't want to do this. Like, but this is the most perfect person for you. To- nope. Uh-uh. Why? Don't want to. I'm not called to pitch them. I'm not called to ask them to work with me. So I'm not going to do it. And that mentality switch is so powerful um, from that perspective of where you're actually taking, you're essentially taking a step back and letting them decide whether or not the, the relationship moves forward in which way. So it's essentially, yeah. if, if whereas previously you were screening applicants and trying to find out exactly, right, this is my, as you said, this is my goal, damn it, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to get what I need because I know I'll drag them kicking and screaming across the finish line. Which, again, let's be honest, probably creates more of a headache for you down the line because the, that client would be the biggest pain in the ass. It's a nightmare, yeah. Yeah, versus having a client where you're like, oh, cool. No, I actually really enjoy working with them. And what I found with the relationship-based uh, client stuff, whenever, and I say this from a copywriting standpoint, for some reason I used to get to this point where I would fuck everything up. Like... I'd want to start the I'd I'd want to start the copy on day one, but mm. mentally I'd want to get into the underdog situation where my back's against the wall and the world's riding on it, and then I'll write. And that used to it's it burns it burns the shit out of me because it takes I'm still going through that process of un, undoing that um that trauma that I did to myself. But with the relationships that you build, you don't deal with people sending you like chargebacks right away. Like you're one day late. They charge back right away. You didn't answer the email. They're going to like blacklist you. You, you fuck up. They're basically going to like say that you're a horrible person. Relationship-based stuff. I've texted my clients before going, hey, man, um, I'm actually not feeling well right now. Uh, this has just gone on with my body, and I don't know what's happening. I'm going to take a week off. I'm sorry that I'm going to delay it. By the way, as a bonus, I'm just going to do this other free thing for you as well as a, as a, as a thank you for giving me a week. Mm-hmm. I've had maybe one client refund me from that perspective. And by that same client that asked for their money back, I gave their money back. I At the time, I couldn't afford to give all their money back, so I was giving them back a little bit of time. I am so comfortable with that that I've actually gone to their event for their book launch. I hugged them. I got a photo with them. We hung out afterwards, and they're still one of my best friends. That's amazing. And that's like, amazing. That's the power of relationships because people just – if you're real to who you are, real recognizes real. People will always show up for you and you will show up for them. Shit will just work out that way. So mm-hmm. one of the questions I really did have for you when it came off this whole agenda of like how you basically went down and shifted it to be more heart-centric, because that's what it is. That's true heart-centric entrepreneurship mm-hmm. where you're building relationships. What was one of the biggest challenges you faced? Like, cause going from that world to this world, there are challenges. You will, you will have tendencies that used to try and draw, draw you back to the old way. What challenges did you face and how'd you overcome them? 
going the other way, there's a lot more authority you can lean on. Like meaning if I'm creating content or doing all these things, or if I'm seeing people through a prism of, okay, what are they to me? How can they benefit me? The conversation is going to gear toward a lot less vulnerability and a lot toward more toward what can I do to benefit this person? So it's easier to come in um, with a lot more ego, a lot more, um, I wouldn't say confidence, but just a lot more, again, authority. Whereas before, like if I'm connecting with someone and I'm actually connecting with them and being vulnerable too, and over the course of that conversation, just in my heart, ascertaining, does it feel right for me to help this person? I have to really understand this person. It humbled the fuck out of me because I had to really learn how to connect with people with no preconceived agenda. So the hardest part would be connecting with people where I, I felt in the past I could have strong armed them to a decision to hire me. I could have brought out all those weapons and tools I had and to lay all those down and just really honor the moment. And like you said, walk away from people. That was one of the hardest things. You know, I had, it was like I had a, a, a favorite um, kitchen knife that I used to cut up all my food and it was always there for me. And I had to learn how to stop using it and put it away and recognize that there's there's a time and a place for it. That was part of the hardest transition and, and humbling myself that way. I also had to recognize people weren't really yearning for my expertise as much as they were yearning for who is Byron. Like, let me understand who is Byron. Like, I want to connect with you. You got the nice suit on. You got the your articulate. That's all great. You can help a lot of people, but I don't know who the fuck you are. And I had to really look at, okay, I've got to do a better job authentically connecting with people and then also to be vulnerable enough to really bring who I am actually on a day-to-day -day basis out and not create some nice two-dimensional shape I can put out and be like, here's an image of me that I want you to see. I had to kill that and just bring out me. Yeah, that's kind of a big thing. And it's interesting to see when people, like once you come over to this side of the bridge, the people that you see on that side of the bridge, you can see past their two-dimensional shit. Yes. And the, the scary thing is there are some people um, that I was friends with, I'm not friends with them anymore, um, or at least I'm not close to them anymore, where they presented that guru style, like, hey, I'm authoritative and who I am, but I'm also authentic. That The one slip-up this person had, as soon as they slipped up this way, it revealed everything. I was like, oh shit yeah you are just completely on a whole different level once you get to this side you kind of pick that up way quicker like you realize who you want to actually do business with and who you want to work with and what you want to show and back to what you were saying about being vulnerable vulnerability doesn't have to be that hey um i'm having a shitty day or hey mm -hmm. my pain is this or whatever it is it's, it's just being real it's kind of like okay I, I watched this movie and i thought this movie was funny or hey i thought this was going on or I, for me and you, like the thing that we bonded over, besides all the other epic stuff that we bonded over, was the fact, and I said it before, I'll say it again, was the fact that we both love cheesy 80s movies. Like Commando yes. with Arnie or like uh, Predator, Kickbox. All those movies are like my favorite all-time movies that I just love. I'll add the Expendables franchise to that as well because that's just a throwback <laughs> to the 80s. That's like every favorite action star thrown into one movie. I'm good with that. But yeah, like, man. You, you don't connect with people on this level unless you can open up. And that was vulnerable for you to open up to me and say, no shit, I love Predator. It's a great movie. Well, I love Com yeah. The Commando. Yeah, man. I think what you're getting at is like I had to learn they're, they're not only 
is is it not always beneficial to maintain a professional facade or any kind of facade it's it's highly detrimental and toxic and it actually kills not just your own happiness but it kills your financial momentum too because as soon as that facade has a hole in it people ravage you to bits they find that little hole and then it's like wait you're not what you said you are anymore and that becomes a real fucking problem for you So yeah, man, like that, I think I had to, and it's funny, we're talking about sweatpants and pajamas, but that goes hand in hand with it, man. When I stopped caring about my image and chose, like we talked about how I wanted to actually show up, like what I'm actually emotionally invested in, I started bringing those people into my life and doing business with those people. And my whole business was built off of having one awesome conversation after another. It was great. And it's true. It, it just it literally just comes down to that. If you, you guys are listening, going, oh, what's the big lesson? Want to know? Dead simple. Drop all the bullshit and be really you. Being really you is hard, and I know that. Um, especially if you're in your twenties, I'll actually put this out there. If you're in your twenties, being the real you is one of the hardest fucking things you can do, because you can go way too far in being you. Like I remember one time I made a really fucked up comment to uh, on a thread on Facebook to a friend of mine that posted it, but like it was a co- popular thread, everyone was commenting. I said, dude, I'm so excited that I may have just jizzed my pants, is literally <laughs> what I wrote back. I got massacred by three different people going, and Adel just lowered the tone, how dare he do this, and all this, that, the other. I sent a <laughs> message to my buddy Josh going, should I just delete the comment? And he goes, no, that was fucking hilarious, I love your sense of humor. I was like, well, those, those people don't matter, fuck them. Like, they're my, cl- they're my clients and they're paying me. I like them for who they are, but their opinion shouldn't matter of you. Like, the, their opinion of you shouldn't matter, sorry. Uh, that's what I was saying. Fuck that up. That was fun. But that's what I mean. I can fuck up on my own show and just keep going. It's always doesn't a matter, fun thing to do. Doesn't matter, man. You oh, got that's it. the best. So, kind of like taking it back to the movie section, or movies here, I gotta ask you, all-time top three movies that you would, if you were stranded on an island... And you had, to, and you had, like, let's not even strand an island. Let's fuck that, because that's that's been done to bits. Let, let's make it a little bit more fun. Uh, you're locked in a room for t- for twelve hours. Um, there's a DVD player, and it has like three DVDs that you're allowed to pick out. Like, there's a magical DVD box, and you can just like pick three movies, and those are the only three movies you can watch for the next like six hours or twelve hours, whatever it is. What three movies would you pick? It's a great question. I'm a big fan of '90s movies too. Probably. So- Probably The Matrix, Fight Club, and Boogie Nights would be my three choices. Ooh, I did not see Boogie Nights going into that one. That's a, I forgot about Boogie Nights. That's a great movie. Yeah. I'd, uh, I'd throw in Matrix. Is, I've seen The Matrix so many times. I actually use The Matrix to learn Portuguese. How did you? Whoa, how did that work? So I do this with languages. I realized... The Matrix is my Rosetta Stone, so this is like a little cheat sheet for anyone else that's like obsessed with this movie. Like I, I was obsessed with The Matrix, like as a kid. So like, who, which kid wasn't? It was an amazing movie. So I know every line of that movie's dialogue, like memorized. Like you could start a conversation about like a bit from that movie, and I'll finish the dialogue because I'll know it for every character. I may mess up one or two things. So the way that I learn, that I'm learning Portuguese and other languages is I will change the language to the language I want to learn. So I'll, I'll watch The Matrix in, like, say, Portuguese. And I already know what they're saying. I'll just try and figure out how they're saying it in Portuguese and then watch that movie over and over and over again until it's ingrained in my head that I can understand them in English and Portuguese in the same movie. 
That's phenomenal. That's, that's one that's of the most crazy. brilliant ideas I've ever gotten about learning a new language. Yeah, that's, I, love that. I actually, I, I can't take credit for that. I stole that idea from Trevor Noah. Like the way he does it is that he studies, uh, he listens to languages and speeches in the language that he wants to learn. Um, and he just immerses himself like crazy. And that's how he speaks so many languages. Me, I have to immerse myself by being with the people or watch a movie that I know very well. Like if I know yeah. all the dialogue, I'm like, so porque means this and this is what they're saying. This is fine. I'm like, cool, I get that. Um, and also you get to learn a couple of new insults whenever you're like watching movies that have like insults in English and they have really cool insults in like other languages. Um, so that's one. Matrix is, I would say the Matrix, Matrix won't go on the list. It, it's, it's there, it's like close, but it won't go on the list. What I will say that would go on the list would probably be uh, Conan the Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian, that's the a bold first choice. one. The first of all one. all Arnold movies. Yeah, I gotta give that one because like it, wow. it's not a great movie, but like it's it's got James L. Jones in it, and the yeah. plot's a little mythical. It's a it's if it's kind of like what I would say if you're cooking a meal, Conan the Barbarian is the one flavor that you can't really work out what it is. You're like <laughs> this tastes good, but I don't know what it's like mystery meat. You're like yeah. I don't know what it, it keeps is. it fresh every time. I get it. I yeah, like exactly. It. So that's yeah. that's Conan the Barbarian's one. Bill and Ted's most excellent, uh, uh, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, the first one. Yeah, the first one. Okay. The first one. Not Bogus Journey. Okay. Bogus Journey's okay. Like Bogus Journey, in my opinion, probably has one of the best endings. Because it has Kiss playing God gave uh, gave God God gave rock and roll to us. Or yes. To it. And yeah, it's like man. an epic six minute like montage at the end, which was amazing. Uh, fun fact, if I remember correctly, Keanu Reeves actually played the bass on stage to that like actually played the bass to it because he, he's a bass player yeah because so, he's, he's in a dog star right yeah shit fuck him yeah. i didn't realize you actually knew that a lot of people do and that's awesome yeah, um, man. Third, yeah. we both have a keanu reeves movie on our list so that's always good uh i'd put i probably this okay, is i'll tell you what you know what okay so i i might have to sub out the matrix for point break i was gonna go with speed oh speed's another great choice you can't go wrong but i'd say for my third movie uh it's kind of an unpopular choice but i've got good memories linked to it con air nick cage with con, con air, air. <laughs> wow yes. man that's bold i like it okay. uh dave chappelle's in that movie man i i totally th- yeah he's like he's got a really minor role i was talking to a friend about this like yeah dave chappelle's in it and they're like wait what i was like yeah he's he's got a very minor role Dude, John Malkovich is in that. Yeah. Oh man, Malkovich kills in that movie. Oh, he's so fucking scary, but he's so smart about it as well. Like he's calculating. For a more updated movie with Malkovich, I'd probably say Red or Red Two. He's brilliant in both movies. I liked Red One. Red yeah. Two to me was okay. I love Red One though. Red was One great. was way better. Red Two was it was good, but not great. Like it couldn't compete. But going back to like we mentioned John Wick earlier, but like. I can't wait for John Wick 3, dude. Like, I can't either. I can't I got, either. I booked my tickets today to go next week. Oh, man. That's coming out here in like just a few days, isn't it? Next week. It comes out next Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. yeah it, it's really okay. weird. Movie theaters aren't over here aren't holding it for more than two days, which is ridiculous. Like One of the biggest theaters here has only got it for like two days. Why is that? No idea. Probably they didn't get the filming or they didn't get the rights to actually run it straight away. Oh, like, that's interesting. 
because John Wick 2 didn't actually do that well at the box office for this cinema because we have different cinema companies over here like three big ones this mm-hmm. one didn't actually kill it with John Wick 2 so I think they didn't want to run it for the third one like for too long so they've only got like a short license for it but I'd say if you want to look at really good action play, and the reason why I put John Wick is probably one of the best action movies ever, is it's redefined the genre for us, like, as it is for, like, the tw- the 2010s onwards. What action is, it's kind of, like, redefined it one more time again. And yeah. I think this, the first and second one were really good. What, what, what was your take? I think it redefined him. Like, I remember on message boards, on the internet, a lot of the perception of Keanu Reeves was actually negative, from what I remember. Um, like, meaning there's a lot of criticism about him being, like, such a wooden, stiff actor and, like, not putting any emotion into it. And he had made some choices in films that kind of sucked. When I saw John Wick in theaters, my friend and I were drunk, and we couldn't stop talking throughout the movie. Because it was like, it, we were just kind of taking it, like, to be... What what we thought at the time was this is a movie that's trying to take itself seriously. And what we later realized stupidly was, no, they know exactly what they were doing. They knew exactly what they were doing and they killed it. And when I watched it a second time, I was like, oh, my gosh, like I was I was making fun of like the whole dynamic. And then I was like, holy shit, Keanu is killing it in this movie. This is the role that was custom tailored for him. And then like everything just kind of switched about his perception. I had always loved Keanu, and so it was cool to, to go from, like, he's great, love him in the Matrix, what a fun guy, to now, like, he's this total badass. Like, to me, his perception changed with how active he was in the training. So that was, like, the, the turning point for me. Like, 80% of the stunts are done by him. Like, all so, the long he, takes and everything is all him. Like, he's so dedicated to this, but why I'd say that was, because uh, I remember that, because a lot of people said that he was wooden, and I was one of the assholes that defended him on that, like, to my friends. They were like, how do you like Keanu Reeves? I was like, honestly, he's a great actor. He has the potential. He's, uh, his Hamlet, if I remember correctly, I read a review between Speed 1 and Speed 2. And, like, this is years later. I was just, like, doing some research on him uh, for an article I was writing. Keanu actually turned down the role of Speed 2 to go ro- do a six-week production of Hamlet in uh, Ontario. Mm. And the guy, one of the critics actually said that was the best Hamlet, like top three best Hamlets he'd ever seen. And this, he was comparing him to like um, traditionally classic trained, uh, classically trained British actors. It was amazing. No idea. Yeah, it was just, uh, it was absolutely amazing just to see that Keanu had hit that level and hit that peak, which is absolutely brilliant. Uh, sorry, my phone went off for like a second. I was like, die, don't know. I don't want that to happen. Um, but the other thing that I was actually going to say that was really huge, hugely redefining was people say that he was wooden, but what, the way I saw it was he is the mask that you as a person become. Because yes. if you look at all, like if you go back and watch his movies from the perception, and everyone listening to this, please go watch a Keanu Reeves movie like uh, 47 Ronin or um, even Constantine, like any yeah. of those movies like in the 2000s. Watch those movies, but don't watch that movie from the perspective of this is Keanu Reeves, you know, he's wooden. See it from the perspective of if I was in that situation, how would I respond? And that's actually the reason why I think John Wick worked so well. Because how would you actually respond if someone killed your dog? Yeah. You'd straight up want to murder everyone. <laughs> murder to her. Absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah oh. that's, that's just a good point. Putting yourself, that's what made the Matrix to me so good. Is like, that's the quintessential hero's journey. And you can yeah. put yourself 
into his shoes throughout the entire movie. You share his disbelief the whole way through until the very end he gets that grasp and it's like, holy shit, this is me going through this. I think that's what makes this movie so powerful. I think you're onto something there. That's really yeah, cool. For sure. It was like one of the craziest things that I looked at, but I would say this much. I probably have to rewatch Reloaded and Revolutions again, like the second and third movie, just like as an adult, because I watched them years ago. I was like, these are okay, but I don't ever want to watch them again. But I think I might watch them as an adult and be like... Oh, for sure do that. Yeah. Are they any good or whatever? But I'll say this much with, uh, with Keanu's thing. With, fuck, what was it called? Well, I'd say with John Wick, and just my last point, I love the theory that people think that John Wick is basically a training simulation inside the Matrix. <laughs> like, that's Neo awakening right now. Because, like, it, he does look superhuman when he does shit in there. <laughs> I, like, I can see that, too. That's I, great. I, I love when people have these weird theories. Like, my favorite one recently uh, was how Ant-Man is going to kill Thanos from... Um, the Avengers. He's like he's gonna yes. go. To, he's gonna go down to like the microscopic universe and run up his butt and ex- expand right <laughs> back out and tear him out. I love yeah. the fact that Marvel had to like release an official press release saying that's not how we're ending this movie. <laughs> like why not? It makes sense. I think because the kids. If it was an R-rated movie, I, I could definitely see that happening. If this was Deadpool, you know that he would totally oh, yeah. do that. That might be in the next Deadpool. I could totally see them doing that. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds is probably like I can't wait to go watch Detective Pikachu, which is the weirdest thing ever. Because like as an adult, you don't really want to be like I'm gonna go watch Detective Pikachu. It's like I actually am. There's gonna be more adults than there are game kids. You know what? That's another guy that flipped his uh, his image yeah. big time with Deadpool. Like there was a lot. I mean, I love the how he made fun of himself so much with the Green Lantern. Like I love he just embraced it, fell on it, and was like it was a horrible decision. Let's make fun of it. I was fantastic. Yeah, and what's funny is if you watch him in X-Men Origins Wolverine, um, that's actually when he first played Deadpool, uh, Wade Wilson. He walked off set during the uh, last battle and they stitched up the face, you know, the whole thing where he turned into Baraka Pool where he had, like, the sword arms and shit. He decided to walk off set and go, I'm not doing this movie anymore. They're like, why? He goes, "Um, you're killing one of my favorite comic book characters. I'm not doing this. It's not cool. So he left the set. He took a pay cut for it and everything. And for about nine years... Him and uh, Hugh Jackman pushed every studio possible to let them write the script and finance it. And as far as we're going with people flipping scripts, this kind of ties back weirdly to what we were saying. They dropped the bullshit of trying to actually put themselves out there in every single movie genre there was, became mm-hmm. their real selves, and ultimately ended up like creating this amazing franchise out of it. If you yeah, really think that, that like, me to, uh, I got a question for you then, because okay. this is interesting, because... Most people I meet, um, they, they've had to, to go through some kind of metamorphosis to get to a point where they're like, all right, this is the quote-unquote real me, or this is how I'm comfortable portraying myself going forward. But you said that was something you'd already arrived at or that you were already comfortable with. So like, how did that come to be for you? Like, What was that journey like for you? I'd gone through so many of my own deaths, it's been ridiculous. Like, I'm not even talking about the physical ones where I've like, uh, the seven suicide attempts before I was 20. Like, that that's a real wake-up call. Like, seven legit, before you were 20? Dude, I should be dead. Like, wow. when I say oh. I should actually be dead, I'm not even kidding. It's a miracle I'm alive. Because oh um, I jumped off a seven-story car block, like a parking structure, like seven mm-hmm. stories up. Um, I, I'm going to try and find like a pen or something. Uh, guys at home, you won't probably hear this, but like, visualize a pen, like where the nib is. 
that's mm. where my skull was, and I basically spiked directly like this on the ground. Like, oh. I, like right at the top of my skull. I should have shattered my skull and severed my neck. Um, severed my spine, sorry. Nothing. I literally got it with uh, two or three bruised ribs and some internal bleeding. That's all I woke up with. Now, I was out cold for two minutes. Like, that was the crazy thing. I was out cold for two minutes, got up, walked it off. Six hours later, I started throwing up blood. Uh, and my parents, because I, I went home, fell asleep. Um, I was like 16. I think I was like 15 or 15 to 17 years old. I was about 16, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I remember just going home. I was throwing up blood and my parents rushed me to the hospital. And they were like, yeah, you've just got some internal bleeding. And at the time, I was Thai boxing. So I got away with saying that I got kicked really, really hard in the stomach and got knocked out in the gym. So they believed me because they were like, your, your brain scan looks like, you know, you got a concussion or something. I was like, fair enough. Um, but the real thing that really arrived for me was like, I've always been more lenient towards the, the, the people that I can actually just be real about, like myself. And it chips away little by little as I chip away at the bullshit of who I was. So like 19 mm. years old, I was insecure. And actually, up until I was 18, I was an angry, repressed, insecure male that had just had a heart broken and decided to go down into the pickup world. And I started writing for the pickup industry as well, like as one of the copywriters there. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Dude, like it's crazy like how many industries they've been in. Like in the rise and fall of and kind of yeah. circling back out. Uh, and then again, like at twenty-two, um, the engagement I was I was engaged to a girl, we broke up when I was twenty-two, so that basically mm-hmm. gave me a wake-up call to who I really wanted to be. And then I started examining relationship after relationship, and I realized by the time I hit twenty-five, I couldn't be happy. Because the people I was dating, the people I wanted to date and I was dating at the time, uh, they only fulfilled like, I don't want to sound horrible because they're amazing people, but they only fulfilled like 50% of me at at best, 50% mm. of me. And the rest of me was like, cool, I'm going to go along because society. And then w- when it inevitably failed, I'd go ahead, go through my rebirth, go through my rebirth, go through my rebirth. But the big one for me was uh, last March 20, 2018. I went to a uh, tr- I, I went through a transformational process with my friend um, Gregory. He's we did a podcast back uh, released in God we're in May. Yeah, first week of May. Uh, so by the time you guys listen to this, go back to the one in May. Listen to the one there with Gregory and uh, Stephen. Mm-hmm. The podcast uh, we we did a four day intensive where my body shut me down. Like my body literally gave me strep throat because it was so clinging onto the, the remnants of who I was or who I perceived to be. And even my posts back then, like on Facebook, were they weren't hustly, but I wouldn't post on Facebook for like a year. Like I probably post maybe twice in a full year. And last year I started to post a little bit more, get more vulnerable. But I went through the transformational process. I cried for the first time. That was amazing. Like mm. I cried for the first time in like five years. Um, and that was brilliant. And cause I started to reconnect with my emotions, but the thing that really shifted it for me. So you got to realize a lot of the time when I got to that relationship place, I started off with wanting to be relationship orientated, but there was just so much bullshit between me and who I was that every time we reached a new peak, I thought that was me. Mm. And then I'd reach another peak and realize that there's more to me than I thought. So it's like constantly, as you climb up a hill, you think you're going to reach the top of that hill. 
and you think that's the top of who you're going to be. And then when you get to that top of that hill, you look over into the horizon and you see another summit that you have to climb. But what you don't see is that there's a drop in between you and that summit. So I'd always just fall off and pick myself back up. The biggest change for me came in uh, January 2019, like this year. Um, mm-hmm. Andy Hassong, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Andy Hassong pulled me aside and he said the thing that, he didn't say it in so much in these words, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but in this I picked up. The thing that pisses everyone off that's known you for about a decade is how the fuck have you not become a millionaire? I was like, what do you mean? How have you not financially secured yourself? You've been doing this since you were like 18. You're turning 30 this year. How have you not done what should take you like five years to do at most? I was like, I don't know. Because I'll tell you why. It's because you don't have any belief in yourself. Because you got to start mm. not believing in yourself. you got to start believing in yourself. At the same time, I, I, I did this thing where I wrote down who am I and what, what is at my core. And for a really long time, I went around saying, I'm a writer, I'm this, I don't know if I can write well, blah, blah, blah. And I realized what I really am at my core as an artist. That's how I see myself, is I'm an actual artist. I love drawing, I love writing, I love expressing myself in different ways through this podcast. And coming to that realization, to the real me, my life has just sped. At, like it's, it's been an insane pace that's been set for me in like the last five months. And off I'll give you a little bit more information about that, but it's been, it's been intense. So that's how I arrived to it was like the deeper the bullshit world that you've had and the more quote unquote self-development you've done without actually fully engaging and taking it on and doing the deep, heavy, crying, painful work. You've Mm -hmm. done the surface level work. You're going to, you're going to keep going into the cycle until you decide to sit down and find out who you really are. And honestly, one of the biggest things, and I'll say on, I don't really admit this on air as much. One of the biggest things that really changed for me was I started getting baked. Like I started experimenting with CBD oil and like marijuana and I started like doing that and actually dedicating a day nearly every week except for now um, where I would be hot, where I'd be baked and I would pull out a notepad and I would write for four hours. And I wouldn't write any advertising or I wouldn't write business stuff. I'd just sit there and I'd write the question at the top. What's, if it's something bothering me, I'd write, what's really bothering me? Um, or how do I really feel? Or what's this week going on? And I just... It would just go. And I, I wouldn't edit it. I, I, there's journals I have where I think I've written the words. Why the fuck am I even writing this? And seriously, I'm still writing this right now. This is insane. Because those are my thoughts I'm having, but I'm still writing them down. So that's that's how I arrived to it and how I'm going to keep going to it. Because where I'm at right now, I've got another peak that I want to go to. Man, first of all, that's incredible. That's That story you told, falling off. You said it was seven stories? Seven stories jumped off, yeah. Seven stories, falling all the way down like that. And the way you landed, like, that's that, man. Like, yeah. I can't even begin to fathom, like, what, what that was like emotionally, let alone physically, because I know that's insane. But, like, emotionally, like, to get to that point. And then you said you would, you attempted or thought about suicide, you said no, six I or attempted seven times? Seven times total. That was number four or five, so there were, like, three more after that. Oh, man. Yeah. That's and amazing. It's where I'm meant to go. I, I was just going to say one of the big things isn't it's not where I was emotionally. It's because I, I was diagnosed as bipolar type one. Mm-hmm. So like that's just more or less like um, you feel like a deity one week and the next week you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it just messes with you. Like it opens up so many portals for you, but then it just messes you up at the same time if you're not careful with it. Thankfully, right now I'm. I know what I'm doing. I've looked at all the research myself, so sure. And I know the warning signs. But like, kind of jumping off of that point, I want to ask you the same thing. Mm-hmm. 
what is it that you're going to do next that is going to like open you up even more so because i know by the time the show comes out you'll have your business kind of like going back in and if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. you're going to be marrying who you used to be with who you've become and finding like mm-hmm. a middle ground between the two my yeah. question is how are you going to do that yeah just the answer i've been thinking about that a lot this year it's it's going to be through content funny enough the thing that burned me the fuck out but to me it's it's through creating it not from a place of let me use this as a vehicle to teach or to do like that surface level shit where I can just talk about helping people in their business, where I get to hop in front of a camera and kind of dance around and like, all right, microphone's off, I'm done. But more so from let me open up and show people this is my life, this is who I am. I'm not trying to paint a picture other than this is brutally, this is who I am. This is what I struggle with, this is what I'm challenged with. But also, this is what I'm grateful for. Let me document my gratitude. Like, let me show you what it's like to be a dad playing in the little teepee in our playroom with my two-year-old daughter. Let me show you how it's heartbreaking, exhausting, and at the same time, like the best decision I've ever made. And let me bring that in. I'm terrified to do that. I'm terrified of that. And the reason I'm terrified is not just because, you know, like opening myself up to the world and all that, but just because there's a there's still a really a part of me that still has to die, which is really not coming across as a really wonderfully eloquent, articulate, powerful, badass businessman. And instead opening up, there's other facets of who I am. I'm a father first, you know, like at the identity, who am I? I'm a father first, I'm a creator second. And um, for me, seeing myself outside of those traditional confines of being a consultant or a coach or a mentor or a leader, I think that's been really challenging because I've been a coach since I was 23 years old. So I'm 32 now. So almost a decade I've been coaching people. And I've just had to constantly be in this mindset of I have the answer. I have the answer. I have the answer. And I think that's a big reason why I got so burned out was I got so sick and tired of having to always have the answer. Having to always have the right front. You know what I'm saying? It it really burned me the fuck out. So to come from there and recognize that what I'm really yearning to share with people is, is going way beyond that, that's going to be the next step in my journey. I think that's going to be quite powerful for you. And I'm going to say, I'm going to suggest this, and I could be completely way off. I'd say you're still a creator first, but that's the core of you. Yeah. Like that bleeds into everything else. It's the same way that I look at myself as an artist. I'm like, if you look at everything I do and look at it from the perspective of he's an artist and he does this, the art will always be there, but it bleeds into my creativity. It bleeds into my like regular work. It bleeds into my wants and desires and everything else. Just like how you're a creator, that'll bleed through. And I'm glad that you're, you've recognized that part of you that, let's be honest, is complete bullshit about the mm-hmm. whole, I have to be seen this way. I have to coach people. And it gets tiresome. And the mental image I actually get is, do you remember Tony Robbins when he was talking about affirmations? Oh, yes. When, when he, that shit. But he was actually making fun of it in the sense of like going, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. And it's like, but your life isn't getting any happy and you're like grinding yeah. your teeth. That's the same as when you're like, I've got the answer, I've got the answer, I've got the answer, I've got the answer. Like the most detrimental thing, and I believe you've actually experienced this as well, because I know I have. The most detrimental thing is when you're actually in need of help and support and want and love and be held and be like, even if it's by a guy friend or a female friend, whoever it is, just someone to actually say it's going to be okay. Um, and actually even just give you like an idea or let you vent instead of letting them have that, they basically just tell you that, Oh, you're Byron, you can handle this. Mm -hmm. And you're like, 
yeah, I know I can handle this, but I don't want to handle this right now. I just want to be hugged. Like, yeah, that, I want a human connection. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of like one of the big shifts that I do see going forward for you as well. Now, jumping off of that point, I do have a very curious question. And again, it's very similar to the whole like other question about movies. Mine is going to be, if you had to like recommend five books for people to read about anything, literally it could be fictional, it could be non-fictional, any kind of choice that you'd want, mm. what five books would you recommend people read? That's tough. Um, that's really tough. Because oh, yeah, now it's it's five. So I got a man, there's a lot there. Um, I'm a big fan of Stuart Wilde. So let me start there. He's got a book called Silent Power that changed my life. That was a game changer for me. Um, and it was a game changer because the book was about consolidating your energy. So you're not leaning all over the world, um, trying to come across a certain way or putting a lot of expectation or importance on things and just learning to fully accept no matter what happens, happens. Um, that was a game-changing book for me. Um, everyone, I have another book I really recommend for men, but I think everyone should read it too. The Way of the Superior Man by David Data. Fantastic Great book. 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 That also changed my life. Completely changed. It changed my relationship with my father as well, reading that book. That was a significant game-changer. Um, the Six Pillars of Self-Esteem by Nathaniel Brandon is another Great fantastic book. book. Yeah, rest yeah. in peace, Nathaniel. I mean, he died a couple yeah. of years ago, but that was a great Gosh, book. Man, that was such a good book. Um, Shaped How I Am as a parent, actually, because he talks about really building self-efficacy in your kids, and that's something that's on the forefront of my mind on a daily basis. Wait, who's this? Nathaniel Brandon, that book, oh, okay. yeah. Building Self-Efficacy. Um, two more from there. That gets tough. Um, those three for sure. Mm, Brian Tracy's written some good stuff. Tony Robbins has written some good stuff. Um, I'll go with the spiritual book. Vadim Zalan wrote a book called Reality Transurfing. Have you heard of those books? You know what's really funny? I actually have that book. Like, I haven't started reading yet, but it's so fucking thick. It's an audio book. You can grab, I think, the first, like, four on YouTube. You can just listen to them. Are they on Audible? Yeah. I think they're on Audible, too. But they're it's on, on YouTube, Audible. I'll probably grab them on Audible because, like, easier to listen to on my phone. Yeah, it's, it's more like out of left field suggestion. Everyone's kind of heard of the first three. That book was shown to me by one of my best friends, and I listened to it probably eight or nine times. It completely changed my perspective on reality itself. Um, and one of the key ideas in that book was just looking out for groups of people or whether they're hundreds or thousands or even just a handful of people that are controlling your energy or draining you in some way and how to watch out for that. So that saved me from a lot of really bad traps. Um, I think he's got like five or six books there. So that one's really powerful. Um, there's another book that is way off in the, the hustle and kind of grindy sector, but I think there's still a part of me that loves bringing out that warrior energy with stuff I love, and that's Relentless by Tim Grover. Um, fantastic book. Michael Jordan's trainer. And Kobe um, Bryant yeah, as well. Yeah, like not something that I'm going to recommend to everybody, not something that I read religiously, but just – it's like a, a dash of seasoning, you know, like every now and then I like to pull out just a little bit of that attitude. To, that's to basically, it. that's your Conan the Barbarian right there. Yes, there you that's, go. That's your you Conan know? right there. It's not the main corpse, but it's a little bit. It's so a that was a tough question. Yeah, well, I, was, I, I wanted to see how you'd handle it and you, you did not disappoint, which is awesome. Yeah. But uh, dude, I'd love to get you back on the show over and over again because this has been fun. I don't think like an hour is long enough to actually keep talking to you. I want to like spend ages talking to you. Yeah, um, but guys... Day. 
if uh, please go check out Byron Van Pelt. Uh, dot com. Um, it's b y r o n v a n p e l t dot com. Uh, hopefully, it's not going to look like how it is that I'm looking at it right now. It's going to look exactly like how I see the man right now because he's fucking awesome. Um, and guys, just connect with him. Seriously, you will not you will not regret it. And dude, thank you again for being here and like actually taking the time to do the show with me. Yeah, of course, man. We'll hop on. We'll have a lot more chats, man. Looking forward to it for sure, guys. I'll see you on the next episode next week. Take care and uh, peace out as always.